You're listening to the Rabbit Room Podcast. Visit us at rabbitroom.com for more information. Hello, welcome to this episode of the Rabbit Room Podcast. I'm Pete Peterson. Am I supposed to say that there? Yes. Last time last time you <laughs> introed me. I'm sorry. I know. I just, I just wanted to see what would happen if okay. I Okay. Yeah. Do it again. I'll do it right this time. That'll probably be funny just to leave it like that. <laughs> Hi, welcome to this episode of the Rabbit Room Podcast. I'm Pete Peterson. And I'm John Barber. And we are here today to talk movies. Uh, last time we did this, we John and I discussed... Um, what was it? Take Shelter and uh, the lamentable Batman versus Superman. Uh, so in our discussion of Take Take Shelter, we were specifically talking about Jeff Nichols, the filmmaker, and his work with Michael Shannon. And that was uh, the week before we went to see his new movie, which is called Midnight Special. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to let you kick it off, John, um, and I'll just jump in whenever I feel I need to. Sure. Um, Midnight Special, uh, Jeff Nichols' newest film, again, uh, stars Michael Shannon. Also stars uh, Kirsten Dunst and uh, Joel Edgerton, Sam Shepard, and some others. Um, and it, it's, it's a much different film than his past movies in a lot of ways. Um, it's about a mysterious young boy with uh, some sort of powers. And... Uh, he's taken on a journey by his father. That's about what you get at the beginning of the movie. Uh, Nichols is kind of the master of just throwing you into the middle of things without giving yeah. you a clear explanation. And that was the first thing that I loved about the movie was it just uh, totally threw you into the middle of things and trusted you to figure out what was going on. It does not explain what's happening. You just have to kind of have to hold on for the ride which is a, a great thing in a lot of ways. Yeah, so um, early on in the film, we learn that uh, this th- this young boy has some sort of powers uh, without giving a lot of detail. And we know that there are a number of different groups of people that are pursuing this boy. One is a, uh, a sort of cult that has grown up around him and his abilities. And another is the government, uh, which is led by Adam Driver's character. Who, who has a scientific interest in the boy. Who is awesome in this movie. Uh, yeah, this is Kylo Ren, sort of, yeah. and maybe I his finest no role idea. to date. Yeah, I had no idea he was going to show up, and when he walked on camera, I was like, whoa, it's Kylo Ren. <laughs> uh, it took me a few minutes to get over that, but then he was just kind of mesmerizing. He was fantastic. Uh, he's great. And so Midnight Special, I think, is Nichols' attempt at uh, remaking the kind of movie he loved when he was a kid, which is... <laughs> Firestarter, apparently. Well, or uh, or ET. Basically, anything by Spielberg. Uh, yeah, I've been describing it as like a mix of Starman, ET, and Firestarter. Yeah, and I, I think perhaps the closest movie is Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah, totally. Um, which even even as much as uh, Dreyfus's character in Close Encounters is Roy, and Michael Shannon in this movie is Roy as well. I, I think there there's there's a lot of similarities there uh, in, in terms of the way they approach the genre. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So my experience was like I, I loved, I absolutely loved every single minute of the film. 
like the experience of watching it was just one of my favorite things ever. Uh, it's, it's the kind of movie you go to, and I, I like I purposely didn't know much about it. I, I took my wife; she didn't know anything about it. You just kind of are thrown into the middle of this very bizarre story where strange things are happening, and you don't understand. And like, and, and constantly throughout the journey, it's changing things up and surprising you. Where it's like, oh, you thought you would know knew what was going on. Well, let me show you this. You didn't. So like a perfect example is right at the beginning, you know, you see that they're on the run and it kind of cuts to this scene with Sam Shepard who's sitting behind a desk talking to his guys. And you really get the vibe that, oh, like he's some kind of mafia dude that's sending his minions out. And then immediately after that scene, it becomes apparent that he is, in fact, a preacher, you know, at the head of a cult. So like. I just loved that, the way that he keeps you on your toes the whole time. And the other great scene is the kind of the reveal of Joel Edgerton's character. I don't I don't want to spoil it, I guess, but like in one of the first scenes he shoots a cop and then and then uh you know about halfway through the movie he has a conversation with somebody where he reveals something about himself that just makes you go, "Whoa, holy cow." And yeah, it, it yeah, you so you have to rethink the scene that you saw before. Yeah, so Edgerton's character is my favorite in the movie. Um, he plays a guy named Lucas who's kind of along for the ride in a way. He has no he has no relationship with the boy, um, but basically he's the audience. He's our eyes and ears. And and maybe my favorite scene in the entire movie comes about I don't know um, fifteen or twenty minutes from the end, in which um, the family uh, Michael Shannon, Kirsten Dunst, and the young boy are kind of gearing up for their final thing. And he, Joel Edgerton's character, standing off to the side, watching them, watching this family unit. And you get the impression pretty quickly that he's us. <laughs> he's yeah. on the outside looking in. He's <laughs> along for the ride just like we are. And, uh, and, and he's our eyes and ears. Yeah, that's great. My my uh, experience with the movie is a little different than yours, Pete, in that I realized that it was leaving the theaters here in Knoxville uh, the, the next day after I was going to go see it. And I didn't realize that until the last minute. And so um, I had to go to the 1045 p.m. show because it was literally the last chance I was going to get. Um, so I was up, you know, till one o'clock in the morning or whatever, which was fine. And and so a couple of the scenes and it were a little draggy for me, yeah. but I don't think that's anybody's fault but mine. Well, then let me go on and to say that, like, because I love this movie so much, I'm also going to be very critical of it. Yeah. Uh, and not in a mean way, but in a way that uh, is indicative of the fact that I loved it. And so, like, for starters, as soon as I walked out of the theater, I, I started questioning things about the way it was put together. And uh, in, the, in the days after I saw the movie, those holes just got bigger and bigger. And so when I look at back on it now, there's a significant number of frustrations that I have, which I liken in some ways to something like Lost, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know this TV show where they throw up these huge questions and they surprise the audience and you don't know what's going on. And then it gets to the end and it didn't really answer all those promises. It like, you know, it was writing checks it couldn't cash. And I feel like this movie does that in a lot of ways, which is frustrating. Uh, however, uh, unlike something like Lost, where as the final episode is going through its motions, you realize it's, it's falling apart. Like with this movie, it's paced so well and it's written so well and it's so emotional that I didn't really have time to stop and consider 
those things during during the experience of watching it, which I think is in many ways commendable of the director and the actors involved. But I do think it's flawed in that, uh, you know, there's some huge, huge problems with it. Like, you know, the the cult thing you know, never really pays off, you know. Like it, it seems to be so important earlier in the film, and then by the end of the film, that's just completely disappeared and become kind of meaningless. Uh, and you know, I, I felt like okay, so the for instance, the beginning of the movie, it starts. It's called Midnight Special, and it starts with this uh, two men and a boy in a car in a black car at night, and uh, they shut off the headlights and are driving through the countryside with like night vision goggles because you know you're aware that they don't want to be caught, and then it pretty quickly becomes apparent that the boy has this aversion to light. So like everything they're doing is happen- taking place in the darkness. And I'm like, whoa, that's really cool. So they're like crossing country at night with no lights on the headlights on in the car, spending the night in hotels with the windows taped up because this kid can't stand light. Uh, and then, I mean, it's not, I think it's maybe a third of the way through the movie, kind of like out of the blue, the kid's like, Hey, I need you to carry me out into the sunlight. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. But, it kind of implies some sort of explanation that I don't feel like ever happens. I feel like you could have made an entire film just about that pursuit through the darkness that culminates in the kid being brought into the light uh, that would have been more satisfactory than the way it is put together. But again, like I'm being really critical, you know, what it does work in a lot of ways. It's only in retrospect that I start questioning, you know, the dramatic shape of of the whole thing. Yeah, um, I'm, for me, it, there's there's a lot in here about um, helpful mysteries versus unhelpful mysteries. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm borrowing a little bit here from uh, film critic Tasha Robinson, who's one of my favorites. She talks about this a lot. But um, this idea of he, he gives us a whole lot of mysteries. The mysteries are all over the place in this movie, right. some of which you never find out the answer to. And that's OK. Um, but like yep. uh, the, the cult thing didn't bother me. I, I thought it was fine. I thought. Um, th- that pays off in the um, in the devotion of one cult member in particular who goes uh, so far above any kind of commitment you can imagine and does something horrible. Um, to me, that that worked. Uh, but there are some unhelpful mysteries. For instance, in the first thirty seconds of the movie, we find out that an Amber Alert has been issued for this kid. Um, and we never find out, sorry, spoiler here, we never find out who issues it, which bothered me throughout the whole movie, to be honest. Right. But but I think the helpful mysteries way outweigh the unhelpful ones in this one. Yeah, I and mean, that's where I come down to. Like another way of putting that is that like, I think a, a good story will present you with a mystery that you do not want to discover the answer to. Right. Um, which is you know, a very fine balance to strike. Because if, if you don't strike it just right, the audience feels cheated if, if you don't give them the answer to the mystery. Uh, and on the other hand, if you can develop that in such a way that the audience doesn't want to know the answer to the mystery, then you've created something truly magical. And I think uh, Midnight Special does both, which is, you know, my criticism of it. Like the mystery that happens at the end, I, th- I thought was beautiful and just, and utterly mysterious and I really don't want to know, you know, that's okay. I'm okay with that. But then there's other things like, you know, what was the kid doing here? How did that work? You know, like if you really start thinking about it, 
it doesn't make sense. And that's, it's kind of like the, the movie, because it's, it's, it's so firmly re- located in reality for us. We expect things, certain things to function on a realistic level, even if other things are going to slide beyond into the mystical. And so when you find this clash between the mystical and the real, it's hard to know where your footing is. And, and that, that's true of the author and the writer of the movie, too. And I think that's where he slipped up every now and then. So, yeah. Um, boy, it's hard to talk about this without kind of giving scary. away yeah. what what happens. But for me, like the, the real emotional punch of the movie and kind of the emotional heart is that even though this is about um, a young boy and all these uh, fantastical powers he has. And again, I don't want to go into detail on what those are, but um in, in a lot of ways as a parent and now I've got a 16 year old who's looking at colleges these days in a lot of ways this journey is very much like the journey that every parent goes on um, taking a, a child who I don't know how I got this kid I mean I know the biology but I don't know what I did to deserve this kid and I've gone on this long journey through the, the kid's maturation which for me um, when when Alton, the young boy, when he goes out into the sunlight, that's what that is. That's his moment of maturation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happens at the end, it, boy, it feels just like what's happening in my family and in my life right now. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, so for me, that's the emotional center of the film is what parents will do and what parents have to go through um, to to deal with their kid and, yeah. and, and what it means to them. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about it. I don't have kids. So yeah, I guess I kind of see that in everything, (laughs) but what are you going to do? Just to change gears a little bit, uh, to the performances. Absolutely. And I loved Michael Shannon in this. He was, I think it's like for the first like 30 minutes of the movie, it's not even apparent that, that, that who he is right? and what his relationship to the child is. So you're not sure whether he's, what his intentions are. You know, you don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. He's kind of scary. And then uh, by the time you get to the end of the movie, he's like, he's no less intimidating, I don't think, but he's also just like powerfully, you feel this powerful affection for him, I I think, because you see how fiercely he loves his son, which was beautiful. And I thought the same thing of Kristen Dunst. She doesn't have a huge part in it, but uh, she did a great job. And I loved how willing she was to be kind of frumpy looking, you know, yep. not, not your typical like uh, uh, movie star turn for for a female lead, and then Joel Edgerton too. It's just like it's basically those three people make the cast, and every one of them was firing on all cylinders. Uh, just fantastic. Yeah, for, um, for my money, uh, Kirsten Dunst is the best performance in the movie, and uh, the last I don't know the last third of the movie is comprised in large part of close up shots of their faces. And they don't even have to say anything for, for long periods of time. Yeah. yeah. And it's captivating. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think this movie is a great exercise in, I don't want to say minimalism, because it's, it's not a minimalist movie. But you can very clearly see the effort to tell as much story as possible with as few words and as many images as possible, which is, you know, the definition of good cinema. So even though, you know, it stumbles every now and then, like it's excelling where so many movies fall short, you know, in their exposition and in, you know, their their drive to show too much. You know, this one's restrained. And the result is that it's just a tense, engaging movie. Yeah, um, where it falls a little short for me, and, and you know, I'm, I'm nitpicking here because I really like the film, but 
Um, but Nichols is the writer and the director. And I felt like he needed a, a, a firm hand kind of to, to check him on a few things. And so mm-hmm. the tone shifts quite a bit. And as much as I love Adam Driver in the movie, that's some of the major tone shifts happen with him. And it goes a little bit from Midnight Special to Midnight Run in a few places um, yeah. and gets a little funny. And uh, I felt like a little editing was probably in order there. Um, as much as, again, as much as I love Driver in the movie. I mean, he is such a weird looking guy. He is, yeah, but he's so great. And just I for know. like, he is one of those actors for me personally that sometimes I absolutely despise him in movies. He he was in a movie called This Is Where I Leave You. I've never uh, seen him before The Force Awakens. So. Really? No, so I'm not familiar with anything else that he's been in. Yeah, he was in one of my favorite movies of last year called While We're Young, Noah Baumbach movie with Ben Stiller okay. um, that I can't recommend highly enough. It was really great. But but then he was in the the Tina Fey um, movie called This Is Where I Leave You, and I just thought it was horrible. <laughs> um, just terrible. But this one, I just love him. It's like this is he plays this sort of buffoonish um Genius, and no, nobody else can do it like he can. And and he's he's completely stymied at every turn. Even when he asks Joel Edgerton to to punch him in the face so that it looks like a like an assault, he gets turned away. I love that moment when he asks, "Can I come upon?" <laughs> it's yeah. so good. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He, he's like a character. He really is a character that walks straight out of you know the third Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm-hmm. You know, one of those old Spielberg movies, you yeah. know, kind of like the scientific uh, side character that's just not understanding the main character or whatever. It's, and I like I loved it so much. So I can't wait to see what Jeff Nichols does next. I'm uh, I'm like all in a huge fan. Yeah, he's 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 probably my favorite filmmaker at the moment. So far, he's batting a thousand for me. Yeah, I just hope somebody doesn't like. Like it's weird when I see a filmmaker that's that promising. Like half of me is like, "Oh man, hopefully they'll offer him the next Star Wars movie," and then the other half of me is like, "No, no, no, that will ruin him." <laughs> you know. So, uh, I, part of me hopes that he doesn't make it big and ke- has to keep making these, you know, tight, low budget movies. And the other half of me think just wants to see him shoot for the moon. I uh, I would love to have been present in the in the pitch meeting where Nichols pitched this movie, uh, and and then someone at a studio gave him a, a few million dollars to make it. Yeah, it's risky. It's yeah. it's insane. That's what it and is. I was also like when I when I was walking in, like having seen the trailers, uh, I was really surprised when I realized it was about to leave theaters because mm-hmm. I thought this looks like a big budget, you know, like crowd pleasing kind of movie. Why isn't this showing in the in you know the number one theater, mm-hmm. you know, in you know with the super sound system and all that? Uh, and then when I left the movie, I understood why because this yeah. is a movie that most people like are not going to go in and come out happy about. If, if you <laughs> know, that's overstating it. Like people were going to enjoy it, but yeah. like, it's not it, to sell it as a summer blockbuster kind of thing is a disservice. That would that would not be serving the film well. No, if you went in expecting a Spielberg film, you wouldn't be happy at the end. Right. It's more complicated, more subtle than that. I think definitely. Yeah. So. It was a great one. I highly recommend it. And yeah, Michael Shannon and Jeff Nichols. I hope they keep doing their thing. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm, I've already got my tickets for Captain America Civil War this weekend. And I am encouraged by the, the reviews I've seen so far. And really? 
at the very least, it, it, there's no way it can it can approach the badness that was Batman versus Superman. Can we can we just can we just sort of agree to never discuss that movie again on this podcast? I don't know if I can do that because like it's, it's such a great <laughs> punching bag that it might just need to be my go-to from now on. I don't okay, know. fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. And I'll do my best. Okay. To discuss it. How about that? Cool. All right, thanks, John. Thank you guys for listening. For more information about The Rabbit Room and The Rabbit Room Podcast, visit us at rabbitroom.com. Music composed and performed by Andrew Osinga from his album Solar Wind. <laughs>